Tegan, what's your favorite topic in the world? Besides politics, besides baseball, no. yeah, it's technology. I love technology. Okay. It's fair to say you love technology and you love politics. You love baseball too. Let's hold that aside. Technology and politics? It's kind of why Political Wire started. It's a great merger of both technology and my, one of my favorite subjects, politics. Well, have I got a topic number one for you, generative AI and the 2024 election. Taken since the Industrial Revolution, we've seen technology replace jobs, but perhaps for the first time in the modern world, there's now a technology that will almost certainly impact white-collar workers. If you're a copywriter or artist, you've got a computer that you're now competing against. The technology is called generative AI, and maybe one of the things actually that you'll explain is, well, what is generative AI versus chat GPT? Because that's, of course, the term that we've all heard. There's Dolly. You can maybe explain that very quickly. Midjourney, and of course, chat GPT, which now we all have at least started to hear about. Anyone who has kind of interacted with any of these, and I have, you've got to be amazed like we are. And in fact, the cover art for this podcast was created using this technology. To anyone using it, the possibilities are limitless. I mean, it's just so clear. And we're just at the very start. I mean, we're all just getting an early glimpse. So let's start at the beginning. Most of our listeners taken have probably heard about the technology. Just explain a little bit about it. Dolly, Midjourney, ChatGPT, Generative AI. What is it? What impresses you with it? So last summer, Chris, these first programs started coming out to generate images. Uh, Dolly is one from OpenAI, and there's another one called Midjourney. D-A-L-L-E, Dolly is how it's Dolly spelled. in Midjourney. And what they would allow you to do is they would allow you, through a text prompt, create an image that doesn't exist. And you could say that image should be in the style of a painter you like, that it could be in a cartoon character, that it could be a photograph, that it could be a certain aged photograph. You might want a photograph from 1920, for instance. What was amazing about it was it took the text and it created the image, an image that did not exist because these models, these AI models are trained on literally millions of images and it knows what's in those images and it can decipher your text and create an image, a photo, a painting, whatever you want. Okay. So explain it in terms of, because everyone who's listening to this podcast has seen our cover art for Trial Balloon with the balloon in the background and the microphones. So explain it in terms of the image that we created here. So I don't remember the exact prompt that I used to create that, but I did ask it to create podcast art, a grainy black and white photo with two old fashioned microphones in the foreground and a balloon in the background. And it came up with several different options, and that's the one we chose. And we may use this technology to choose other chapter art, other art for other episodes of the podcast, but that's what it came up with. We liked it, and we went with it. But it literally took 30 seconds to create. That was Dolly. That was using this generative AI, this artificial intelligence, to create an image. And that was really cool. What was Midjourney then? And then ChatGPT, we all kind of have heard about. Yeah, Midjourney is just another version like Dolly. It allows you to create images from a text prompt. So it's very similar. ChatGPT, however, I will say this, not since I saw the first iPhone, which blew my mind when I walked into the store on that first day that they were for sale, not since the iPhone have I seen a technology that's literally blown me away. It's jaw-dropping what it can do. 
You could have it write a song. You could have it write poetry. You can have it write in the style of a favorite writer that you might want. You can ask it technical questions. You can feed it computer code and ask, please describe to me what this code does in plain English. You can ask it to write text in a variety of languages that we use in the real world. It is absolutely amazing. And while it does make mistakes, and that's one of the problems of it, we are so early in this technology that it's only going to get better. And quite frankly, humans make mistakes too. So considering it's trained on human intelligence, it's not a surprise that it makes mistakes. What's going through my mind right now is that scene from Annie Hall where Alfie's mother has brought him to the doctor because he stopped doing homework. And doctor says, why have you stopped doing homework, Alfie? And it turns out it's because Alfie read that the universe is expanding and at some point it's expanding, expanding. At some point it's going to blow up. And so what's the point of doing homework? So the mother then asks Alfie, but what does the universe have to do with Brooklyn? My question for you, Tegan, what does this artificial intelligence, what does ChatGPT, what does Dolly, what does that have to do with politics? It doesn't have anything directly to do with politics, but as a tool, it will be used in politics. I don't like making political predictions, but I will make you a prediction right here on Trial Balloon that AI will be used in politics this election cycle in the 2024 campaign in a way that both is mind-blowing and scary at the same time. So the first uses of this technology publicly were back at last summer. We're now seeing this chat GPT version, which generates text. Between now and the two years before the election, we are going to see major advances in this technology. It will be used in political advertising. It will be used to create targeted political advertisements, perhaps tailored to specific voters in social media ads or in other types of digital advertising in a negative way to create videos that didn't exist before, possibly even speeches. If you've seen some of these things on social media, they're downright scary in terms of what they can do. Do you mean like deep fakes or different than deep fakes? Exactly like deep fakes. Those deep fakes can be used to spread misinformation or disinformation. They could have an impact on various campaigns. It can be used to draft political speeches. It could be used to generate political speeches that we see on video. And then it will help campaigns actually analyze the huge volumes of data that they have and that they use in trying to target voters. Sift through all of that. Some is positive, some is negative. But if you look at a couple of the articles that have been written about it this week, one from Ben Thompson and Stratechery, one from Kevin Ruse in the New York Times, they've been using a new version of this chatbot based on ChatGPT technology that's been paired with the Bing search engine. And it has downright scared them, blown their mind, and both at all at once. Are there positive ways in which this generative AI is going to impact political campaigns? I mean, it was Obama who got so much credit for, and that team in 2008, they were the ones who recognized the power of Facebook the ability to target. They understood the advertising that could occur. They understood the power of community. And 2008 was transformational in terms of the use of social media. Are you suggesting that you think that 2024 becomes transformational in the use of AI? And then B, if so, is that a force for good or a force for evil? Like I said earlier, I think it could be both. And I think the way that it could be used is this. If you go back to 2008, it's interesting. What the Obama campaign found out was that they could use Facebook as a distribution platform to get their message out to as many people as they possibly could. Particularly, they were interested in young voters. 
actually in 2012, they knew that if they used Facebook in 2012, they could reach 98.5% of all young people. And that was their goal at the time was to try to juice the vote of the under 30 voter. And Facebook was the platform where they could do that. What's happened since then is that we have so much data on who these voters are, but it's very hard to actually crunch that data and to try to target the messages that you want to those voters. And generative AI is certainly a technology which can sift through that data, understand that data, understand who is represented by that data, and then customize on the fly messaging that could be targeted directly to those people. A force for bad is actually feeding voters disinformation and trying to get them to either not vote for someone or to get them to uh, stay home from the polls. You could give a prompt to ChatGPT or to a different device based off of the same algorithms or the same generative AI, and you could say, write a 100-word email with highly provocative language to anger a conservative voter in Kansas about pro-choice legislation being advanced by AOC, number one. Or number two, you could say, write a 100-word email to a Kansas voter aged 30 with these other demographics explaining why the Republican opponent is going to destroy the environment, even if perhaps in this particular case, that Republican opponent maybe happens to be somehow pro-environment or something like that. But you can give the prompts and it can just spit back out the content targeted the way that you describe. That's the way that technology is used today. So what you're describing is the prompts that you might give ChatGPT to get that desired result. What will happen over the course of the next two years, in my view, is that that will happen programmatically. The variables and the data will be fed to ChatGPT or the technology on which it's based, and it will be trained to spit out responses according to what the programmer wants. So it won't be done with you entering text into a chatbot. It will be done programmatically. In that way, you could literally target not only hundreds of different demographics, but thousands, tens of thousands of different demographics. And when you say programmatically, define programmatically. It's literally just taking the data that you either already have or that you've generated. It could be from search. You could actually take it if if you knew somebody searched for a certain term on a website or landed on a certain website in some way, you could take that data, feed it into the model, and then make sure that the proper message is being shown to them. But these campaigns, they know so much about individuals. They have so much data on everything every single voter in the country. The biggest obstacle right now for campaigns is targeting the specific messages that may work for those voters. And so when you have that much data, the obstacle for campaigns right now is it's just very costly to get individual messages. When you advertise on cable TV, you can do a little bit of targeting of messages. You can target people in various neighborhoods and things like that with cable ads. With digital ads online, you can actually target the actual reader. The missing piece between this is literally taking the technology, deciphering the mountains of data that you have on these voters, and then spitting out that perfect message. And up until now, we haven't had a technology that could literally write that message on the fly. That to me is what's so exciting and so interesting about this technology. And as Ben Thompson and Kevin Roos found, can also be scary. That's a great place for us to hit pause on generative AI and politics. This is not the last time that we're going to touch on it. We are now at the point where there's a next level of not just targeting, but ability to execute against that targeting capability. We're at the next point of transformation. 
check back with us in two years. And I, I think this is going to come true. Your good friend, Pete Buttigieg, he's been having a little bit of a hard time from Political Wire. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is again attracting controversy in the wake of the Ohio train derailment with elected officials from both parties questioning his ability to lead the department and respond to crises, the Washington Examiner reports. Buttigieg, tapped for the position after attracting presidential buzz as mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has found himself under frequent fire, leading to concerns about his fitness for the role and whether his performance harms his political future. That was the Washington Examiner piece. The Washington Examiner headline for that piece is, Buttigieg faces questions about whether he has become a liability to Biden. Has he? The key phrase there is the Washington Examiner, which is a conservative newspaper and is pushing a conservative message at this point. The main takeaway from this is that Pete Buttigieg is not the first transportation secretary to watch a train derail, to have accidents on highways, to have airport delays, things like that. The thing that's different about Pete Buttigieg is that he's one of the strongest Democratic players on the bench for future presidential campaigns. And I think Republicans have realized that. And I think Republicans have realized that this is their opportunity. Anytime there is an issue like this, that they can target Pete Buttigieg, try to take him down. Already just today, right as we're recording this, Senator Marco Rubio has called for Pete Buttigieg to resign because the transportation secretary has a lot to do with a train derailment in Ohio. But let me push back just a little. I don't want to go you know, full Marco Rubio here, but this train derailment, this actually is really scary. The chemicals were highly problematic. A series of towns had to get evacuated. There's still a question of what was the containment of the chemical spill off of the train derailment and to what extent has the water basin in that area now gotten contaminated? And I got to tell you, I feel as a reader who follows the news pretty darn closely every day, I don't think enough was made of it at the very beginning. I don't think that there was sufficient alerting. That's pushback number one. Pushback number two. The plane slowdowns, the, the whole problem with the technology and Southwest technology and all of the delays that ruined so many vacations and more, the technology that the airlines run on, it is out of date. They were one of the first industries to transition to using technology decades ago. Many of them have not updated the technology. On some level, it would have been nice to have had a transportation secretary, especially one like Buttigieg, who's young and technologically inclined and forward-looking, to have been kind of out in front of the problem. And in fact, when it occurred, again, it felt like for a week, nothing did happen. So I don't want to go full Marco Rubio here on you, but don't they have a little bit of a point? I don't think they have any point, really. On the Ohio train derailment, I think you did pinpoint what the scandal is. No one seemed to report on this story for about 10 days. There was very little written about this. And this may turn out to be the largest environmental disaster in years, if not decades. But wouldn't people have been reporting more on it if the transportation secretary was there on site saying, this is an outrage, we're going to hold these train companies responsible. But not only that, here's what we're doing right now in the cleanup. Wouldn't there have been more reporting if he was sounding the alarm? I know that the transportation department was on the scene quite quickly and has already been trying to investigate the causes of that train derailment. So I don't think you can blame Pete Buttigieg for that. On your second point, on the Southwest air delays that we saw over the holidays, Technology is an issue, but the issue is not the FAA's technology. The issue, as I understand it, is how Southwest has chosen to use technology to run a different business model. 
As anyone yes. who flies knows, most airlines use the hub and spoke system where there's a base somewhere. Delta uses Atlanta for a base and the, all flights kind of come through that. And when the hub and spoke network came on, it was annoying because so many flights that had been direct flights all of a sudden are going through these hub city airports. What Southwest does is very interesting. It's an interesting business model is that they use the same planes. So all of the planes in their fleet are the exact same and they can move any plane on any route at any given time, but there is no hub from where they're going. And what happened is when a storm caused large percentage of their flights to be canceled, it threw their entire model out of whack. I don't think you can blame Pete Buttigieg for the way a private business runs their business. I think Southwest has realized they made certain mistakes there. And if you want to push back on the Marco Rubios, the regulatory regime around transportation, it's not like Republicans have been interested in more regulation of private industry. So I think there's plenty of blame when you start pushing a who should have done what when. But Pete Buttigieg has only been transportation secretary for two years. You know, I really don't think that this is fair. I, th I think what we're seeing in some of this coverage is that Republicans see a very strong guy on the Democratic bench that they can take down. No doubt. The technology problem around airplanes, there was a piece this week in the Wall Street Journal. I haven't put it in the newsletter yet because it's kind of a complicated piece and I haven't figured out how to tell the story briefly enough for a daily news briefing. So it might go, I might put it in the Sunday one, but the weekend, or, but even if I don't, let's put a link in the show notes for this one. There was a Wall Street Journal article, why planes were grounded for the first time since 9-11, January outage of US pilot alert system halted all departures and shook aviation industry, failing vintage hardware. So this was not the Southwest thing, but this was, you remember when for about two hours, flights were halted all over America. It was yep. the first nationwide ground stop since 9-11. From the Wall Street Journal article, the FAA blamed a contractor for unintentionally deleting computer files in an alert system, which tells pilots about restrictions and hazards along their routes. A closer look at the system suggests that its problems run much deeper. Despite repeated warnings about its vulnerability, the system hasn't been overhauled in years. Phasing out aging equipment has been put off since at least 2016. It is so fragile that flooding from heavy rain at an Oklahoma City facility in 2021 knocked out the system. We can maybe spend more time in a future conversation about the aviation system and about Pete Buttigieg. My point and why I wanted to talk about this topic is I feel like there's some there there, and it might be unfair. Yes, it's political. Yes, Washington Examiner is a conservative outlet, and they're going after Buttigieg because he's a strong potential candidate sitting on the Democratic bench. I don't think any of that is untrue. What it also feels like is there's some there there. Well, here's what I'd like you to do, Chris. So uh, readers of your newsletter know that once a month, you put together a deep dive on a topic. You did one this month on fentanyl and the fentanyl problem in this country. I'd like to see you do one on the transportation problems. I think that that's an issue that people have a lot of interest in. And there are changes that have happened. And I'd love to see you dive into that. Thank you. Thanks for the idea. I'll have to do just a little bit more research. But yes, I think, I, actually, I think you're right. There we go. A deep dive for the future. Last topic, Social Security, Medicare, and the State of the Union. It's more than a week later, and Biden is still getting mileage from highlighting some Republicans, air quotes, desire to cut Social Security and Medicare. Republicans are complaining about his claims to anyone who will listen. 
he then supports his claims by reading actual remarks from people like Florida Senator Rick Scott. Republicans are also fighting amongst each other. Mitch McConnell publicly lambasted Scott this week over his plan. Here's the thing. This week, Tegan, the nonpartisan CBO, Congressional Budget Office, came out with some new numbers on the national debt. New York Times writes, the U.S. is on track to add nearly $19 trillion to its national debt over the next decade, $3 trillion more than previously forecast. The result of rising costs for interest payments, veterans, health care, retiree benefits, and the military, the CBO said. The new forecasts project a $1.4 trillion gap this year between what the government spends and what it takes in from tax revenues. Over the following 10 years, deficits will average $2 trillion annually as tax receipts fail to keep pace with the rising costs of Social Security and Medicare benefits for retiring baby boomers. To put those numbers in context, the total amount of debt held by the public will equal the total annual output of the U.S. economy in 2024, rising to 118% of the economy by 2033. We hear about the economics, Tegan, and they sound scary. What about the politics? Is it possible that there is a lane to talk about Social Security and Medicare when you start talking about numbers like the ones I just read from the New York Times piece? Or are Social Security and Medicare always and forever politics third rail? I've got a trivia question for you, Chris. How many times in Donald Trump's term did he mention the federal debt in his State of the Union address? I'm going to go with none times. None times is the answer. Ding, 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 ding. You've got it right. It's one of those things where every once in a while, it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue for Republicans when Democrats control the White House. The politics of this are really tough. I mean, Joe Biden put Republicans in a box in a very public way at the State of the Union address. He got an assist from Senator Rick Scott, who refuses to back away from his own comments in his own plans. He gets an assist from Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who does the same thing. He gets an assist from the videotapes shared by Donald Trump, of all people, of Ron DeSantis making similar comments when he was first elected to Congress five, six years ago, whenever that was, making those similar comments. He got an assist today from former Vice President Mike Pence who also said that he wanted to sunset Social Security and Medicare and replace the new deal with a better deal. He keeps getting assists from Republicans. Republicans keep saying that they want to cut Social Security. But then, as you say, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, they say, no way are we going to cut Social Security. So the people who are actually in control in Congress say, no way, no cuts to Social Security. And by the way, in the Senate, Senate Republicans have warned their House colleagues, no cuts in defense either. And there's a lot of appetite for expanding defense spending, both because of the war in Ukraine and the assistance that the United States is giving to Ukraine, but also because of the Chinese spy balloons and the threat that China poses to the United States. So there's no appetite for cutting defense spending either. So Republicans give Biden another assist in pushing his message out today, because guess where Republicans want to cut now? They want to cut food stamps for the poor. I'll tell you this. I'm not the greatest at math, but I don't think cutting food stamps is going to close that budget gap. (laughs) So I, I just think the Republicans right now, they talk about this issue only when Democrats are in power. They don't have the substance behind it because they aren't willing to cut the types of things that they discuss in private when they're confronted in public. They won't cut Social Security. They won't cut Medicare. They won't cut defense spending. And without cuts to those, the federal debt just grows and grows and grows. 
but we're going to chop down the food stamps, Tegan. We're going to solve the food stamp problem. I mean, it's remarkable considering the tax cut that was passed by a Republican-controlled Congress during the Trump years and uh, the corporate tax cut that was passed there. So it is actually really hard to comprehend how Republicans think that this is a good issue for them when they're constantly undermining their own message. I think Joe Biden, if he heard this right now, he would just say, bring it on. I bet that's what he would say. And I would say that we have brought it on. Time to go. Thanks, Tegan. See you next week, Chris. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 